that, Christy Alonzo? Uh, we got news. We got Marquise. Yes. Uh, not really, but we do have a nope. special guest. So many viewers, Matt, on a couple different YouTube videos last week were just ooing and aahing over that sweet girl and getting overclamped. Yes. And then somebody said she's on her last legs, which I was a little like, "Mm." I mean, she does have she does have (laughs) leg problems, but she's not on her last legs. The legs are still there. Right, and we have wheels just in case. So great, and even so if she great. is, she's being very well taken care of. So she's really? yeah, she's a good girl. We have lots of news for you. We have some breaking news, which is that Disneyland reopened today. Oh, I gotta go. <laughs> I was gonna say, Matt, it's been good to see you. <laughs> it's gotta be cooler down there than it is where you live, right? It is uh, 95 degrees where you live today. It is, uh, at the moment, 95 degrees. Oof. Yes, um, and it's supposed to hit 97, so just in case. Let's all show our phones, you guys. Oh, 95 <laughs> degrees. It's cool where I live. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a brisk 88, or sorry, 86. I win. 86, it's it got cooler. I'm the hottest. Um, hello. Not gonna so fight you for that one. <laughs> Disneyland reopened, albeit with some restrictions. So okay. um, you have to get reserved tickets ahead of time. And um, they're only open from 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. That's both the main Disneyland and California Adventure. Mm-hmm. And uh, they have spacing. People were there at like four o'clock in the morning today. My friend Alex Cohen, who is an a la carte alum, we interviewed her mm. a year or so ago, posted video this morning of pulling up there for the first time saying, uh, I'm not going to lie, I'm getting a little teared up here. And people were very excited to go back to Disneyland. I mean. So all the indoor everything is still happening, the dark rides and the restaurants or whatever? It is truly a small world after all. <laughs> I don't know. I guess, okay. I guess it, it, I mean, do you, here's my question. I don't know. Do you have to show vaccination proof to do uh, certain rides? If it were a Duralde world, yes, but I have a suspicion that Disney World is not Disneyland is not making people show that proof. So I don't know, Matt. I know you're you're a big fan. Are you pumped? Will you go back anytime soon? No, probably right. not to my birthday. I mean, I've been going on my birthday every year, right? So we'll um, wait. So I'll wait. Uh, yeah, um, I don't know about that guy out of Tampa. Uh, that Florida dude that was writing about how mad he was that oh god that <laughs> no no guy. He, he's from Vegas actually oh sorry right he's from Vegas but he's he wrote really it mad in Orlando Disney Sentinel. World yes he's yes. very mad that they are they made the rides less racist and less rapey how dare they right right wokeness is ruining Disneyland oh, yeah, he yeah, will he will be taking his business elsewhere. And this, this was a guy that the okay. ACLU had to fight because apparently he's like an associate district attorney or something in like northern Las Vegas yeah. uh, who tried to execute some drug dealer with uh, some kind of chemical combo that everybody's like, no, that is actually cruel and unusual and you can't do it. And they had to like take him to court to prevent him from doing so. So he's a charmer all the way around. You know, it's funny when I saw that headline about how like Disneyland is suffering from wokeness. It, it read like an onion headline at first. Uh, well, especially with the picture. You look at right. the guy and you're like, no. God. He's like this really? doey oh, dude. Okay. They got new models of the onion. He's like this Ooh. super white doughy dude. Anyway, um, so that's exciting. Also, we have breaking news on the Lady Gaga dog napping front. So they've made arrests of five people. Oh, including, including the woman who 
went to the LA police department um, station with the dogs who said, oh, I just found these random dogs tied to a pole. What do you know? But here's what happened. Apparently, they did not realize these were Lady Gaga's Frenchies. If you'll recall, a couple months ago, Lady Lady Gaga's dog walker, try saying Mm -hmm. that three times fast, um, was out with her three Frenchies walking in Hollywood. And someone pulled up and attacked him, shot him, and got away with two of the three dogs. And the the third one uh, was recovered nearby. So Lady Gaga offered a $500,000 reward for anybody who brings the dogs back. No questions asked. This woman miraculously just found these dogs tied to a pole. What are and, the now, and now questions are being asked. But here's the deal. They didn't know those were Lady Gaga's dogs. They Honestly? Just, yeah. Well, no. Fred, oh, the these, dog nappers didn't know. Okay. The, no, no. The dog nappers did not know that they were stealing it's like a Coen Brothers farce, you know, like of dumb people making stupid mistakes and trying to pull the crime off. So um, they weren't after ransom. They were after the actual dogs. They were stealing Frenchies because Frenchies are really valuable. Frenchie puppies mm. are several thousand dollars. And so wow. they were after this valuable dog. And then like, oops, they happened to steal some of the most famous Frenchies on the planet. And then oh, they tried dear. to cash in and it all went south. So it was the woman who brought the, the dogs back. It was her and her boyfriend and the boyfriend's teenage son and a couple of his friends. And so no one gets the reward. I was going to say, did the woman who (laughs) brought the dogs in the first place collect or no? No. Okay, well. No, because they were suspicious of her. uh, They wanted to check her story out. Yeah, this is very burn after reading. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Hey, so Matt, we talked about the Oscars on Monday. We were sorry that you were unable to join us, but I'd love to hear what you thought about them. Sorry, my wife is getting the dog because it's too hot. (laughs) Hello, Jen. Bye, Sabrina. She says hello. Hello. So um, what were your thoughts on the Oscars? Uh, it was fine. It was fine. I mean, it weird. I know it didn't go any faster, but it felt like it was going faster because they didn't have all this like the Michigas of like performances and stuff and bits. Let's hear the history of the Western. Yeah, right. It was shorter. I mean, they didn't have the big opening still monologue. Like three hours something. Like, yeah, but like no. it wasn't the four hour and twenty minute long one. Yeah, I mean, it was. It was fine. It was three and change, which is by Oscar standards, like a brisk clip. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they definitely shit the bed about doing best actor last. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That was um, unfortunate. Didn't pay off. Right. Mm-hmm. Especially like, because Hopkins wasn't there and they weren't going to let him do Zoom and blah. I mean, no. And yeah, apparently a, Olivia, Olivia Coleman was supposed to accept on his behalf. Apparently not true. La- no? Later on, uh, Kyle Buchanan of the New York Times did some re- reportage and said oh. that no, she was she was actually in the middle of the shoot and so she came for her category and then skedaddled. So that actually wasn't a thing. Oh, but but Hopkins's reps did offer to make him available by Zoom and they were like, no. Well, Which, and, well that's guys, shitty. But yeah, because like, look, I, I get it. You don't want to look like the Golden Globes, like you were, you know, the, the whole blanket, no Zoom thing. I get it. But come on. Anthony Hopkins is in his 80s. I only recently learned in 2014, diagnosed with Asperger's and does not like to be around crowds. I didn't know uh, that either. Yeah. Like, so there was a lot of a lot of things where you're like, you know what? For you, will make an exception. But they just were like, they were very adamant about the no Zoom thing. So that's where we wound up. Yeah, he lives in Wales. Yeah, Wales is really far away, you guys. 
Yeah, like to go to like, London would have been a major, you know. Jesus, like they couldn't send a satellite truck out to him. Like, okay, don't do it on Zoom. Do it via satellite uplink like they're yeah. doing everywhere else. True. Yeah, yeah. Have the guy standing outside, you know, in a hazmat suit holding an Oscar just in case, you know. It is all short-sighted. Um, but uh, Oscar ratings were down. They were their lowest in history um, yes. af- following last year's awards, which were the previous lowest in history. Only 9.8 million people watched it. That is down 58% from last year, um, which when 23.6 million watched it. But then again, like all awards shows, all awards is right, down. taking a dive this year. So, and it turns out that 9.8 mil for the Oscars mm-hmm. is still larger than the average numbers that ABC gets for any given episode of Grey's Anatomy or even The Bachelor. Like those tend to get like between five and six mil. So 9.8 is nothing to sneeze at, even if it's down from what previous Oscars were like. It's such a weird year. I mean, like exactly. nothing is normal and about this year. There's no giant around. blockbuster that everyone saw or like went to see because you couldn't. Right. I think the other thing is, you know, we hear this every year, like you hear a bunch of stuff like uh, the ratings continue to drop. And then there's also especially like the right wing backlash that like, oh, the movies don't have anything to do. Like nobody cares about the movies and blah, 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 blah. Liberal Hollywood is woke. Right. <laughs> and I think that, I think really the biggest thing that has caused problems for the ratings in the Oscars, it's a couple things. A, there was a point where that was pretty much the only award show, that and the Globes, right? But there right. weren't any other award shows at the beginning of the year. And that was the one time you would, that, that America and the world would get to see all of these celebrities in one place and see something happen. Now that's this whole big slog to get there, coupled with the ubiquity of so many celebrities on social media, and we have such access to them, that that the fun of watching the Oscars, that rare opportunity of seeing all these folks together and unscripted or allegedly unscripted Mm -hmm. has been long gone. And I think that's what really helped propel that show. And I think people tuning in is far less to do with the movies so much as like, you know, we see these folks all the time. (laughs) And to the the argument about how like, oh, no one's seen these movies. It's like, you know, there was a time when the Emmys were given out for for shows that aired on three networks, four if you count PBS, you know, and now you have the whole cable landscape to deal with. And so, yeah, none of the individual shows that are up for Emmys get the kind of numbers that like, you know, the fugitive would get because it was, you know, there were only, there weren't that many options. And I think the same thing with movies. It used to be, you had a handful of major studios putting out their films, backing their like big movies every year. And, you know, yeah, you'd have occasionally something foreign or indie-ish, whatever that looked like back in the day, you know, would get in. But now you have a lot of smaller distributors. You have a lot of, you know, indie divisions, you know, we have what's left of indie divisions of major studios. Those are almost all gone now. Uh, But, you know, they, they, you know, they're, they're the movies that are getting nominated aren't necessarily like you know the greatest show on earth or whatever you know the big paramount movie or the big mgm movie or the big columbia movie was that Gigi. exactly and so so yeah so it's just a changing you know and coupled with all of that fewer people watch network television than used to so it's it's just you know the oscars are a bit of a, a, a relic of the past in terms of what it used to mean to the major studios and what it used to mean to a TV network. It doesn't mean that they don't still honor, you know, movies that deserve it. It doesn't mean that it doesn't get butts and seats for people who want to see films because the Academy says you should, but the paradigm of what gets nominated and what the show is has evolved along with everything else in entertainment. The further splintering of pop culture consumption. Exactly. Um, other things that have happened since the Oscars, 
that stupid Trump statement, he's now putting out on official letterhead what he would have tweeted if he hadn't been kicked off of Twitter. He was saying, you know, that the fact that they're called the Oscars now, they should call them the Academy Awards and they should nominate real movies. And what no I one's watching. Is, what I love is that, that yeah, like, the, like they haven't called them the Oscars since, for decades. Since time um, immemorial. Yeah. One of the things that I, I love about the whole thing about Trump sending his faxes around is that he's really like recreated the fax chain letter. Like, <laughs> right? Like the reason fax machines had to have phone numbers at the top was so that it would keep people from spamming faxes, right? Because right? it would cost you money if you got unwanted faxes. And he's kind of like, just brought that back. Like, oh, I, I don't have Twitter. I'll fax everyone. It's a piece of my mind. And of course, um, you know, like what, when is a former president ever weighed in on shit like this? No, never. Because this is nonsense, like pop culture. Who the fuck cares? You know, like you're supposed to, Anyway, you know, you know. Pay attention to me. I'm still here and I have thoughts on things. It's so funny. That's all it is. Um, Also, there is, and this is an easy one to predict, but there is going to be an English language remake of another round in the works. Leonardo DiCaprio's production company has the rights to it for DiCaprio to star in the Mass Mickelson role. And you could just predict that watching it. You And I, we might have even talked about this when we reviewed it. Like you can so easily imagine a, a wackier, broader, louder version of that story being made in the United States. And so- I mean, I'll believe it when I see it. We were threatened a Tony Erdman remake for years, remember, with, uh, with Kristen Wiig and Jack Nicholson. Yeah. And that never happened. And so who knows? It did not. Um, speaking of conservative people who are crazy and annoying, Randy Quaid now says he is seriously considering running for California governor. Um, there is indeed going to be a recall here. Um, the people who are opposed to Gavin Newsom being the governor have amassed enough signatures, like 1.5 million signatures to force a recall. That's going to happen. Uh, we already talked about how Caitlyn Jenner wants to run for governor oh, of California. Yeah, she's announced and already putting out terrible ads. Oh, I haven't seen the ads. What's in them? Well, it's not an ad per se, but like just this image that's been going around where she's driving a convertible and there's a dog in the passenger side. And it's like, for one thing, if you're Caitlyn Jenner, automobiles is really yeah, not right. where you want to be leaning car. right that's now. That's so dumb. On P- right. She on PCH in Malibu? <laughs> for starters. And then like, apparently if you, if you go to her website, there's no, there's no listing for like policies or, you know, like platform, but there is like a place to donate and a place to buy, you know, t-shirts or whatever. So again, this is so much of this is a grift. You know, there are politicians who I think know that they're going to be, you know, that they have maybe a chance in hell of getting elected or something. And then there are people like this who know that there is a segment of the population that they can hit up for money uh, by, you know, like, do you know, saying the stuff that those people want to hear and walking away, you know, like laughing all the way to the bank. And, and so, yeah, Jenner and Quaid are just in it to get in on that right wing cash machine. And also neither of these people is Arnold Schwarzenegger. No. And I feel like that is a thing that we did one time and we saw how it turned out. 
And hopefully we're not going to do it again. We we learn nothing in this country. And frankly, Schwarzenegger was a much better governor than Trump was president. And they came into the jobs with equally no idea what the fuck they were doing. Right. And Schwarzenegger was better than Pete Wilson. Pete Wilson was a disaster. Like he came in after that. You would think after Trump that people would know better than to like elect somebody who has zero experience and like nothing but 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 a high like, you know, recognizability factor. But again, we don't learn anything ever. Yes. Anyway, this is all interesting. Also, um, real fast, and we'll get off of political stuff. Um, the feds served a search warrant on Rudy Giuliani's apartment yesterday. They are seizing all of his phones and all of his email. It is really, really tough to get that kind of a search warrant on any lawyer, but particularly for the president's lawyer. And mm. so, uh, my, my that favorite be- comment on that was uh, the Photoshop picture of feds in front of mm-hmm. uh, Four Seasons Total Landscaping on their Twitter account. <laughs> and they said, I think they showed up at the wrong address or something like that. Was- we kicked him out or something like that. I hope Maria um, Bakalova was part of the raid. Oh my gosh. Right? Well, she's probably on his eye calendar or whatever, whatever day it was that they made plans for her to interview him for Make Benefit Kazakhstan. Mm. Um, so uh, we are about to enter the yellow tier here in LA County. The CDC has some new mask guidelines. If you are fully vaccinated, you don't need to wear a mask out in public. Um, you know, if, if you are in like, you know, if you're like an outdoor concert or like a crowded boardwalk at the beach or, you know, something like that, then you should, because not everybody is vaccinated. But like, if I'm walking the dog down the street, I'm, I'm fully vaccinated. Like my stuff's kicked in. I'm firing on all cylinders at this point. And I think we all are right. Alonzo, maybe you will be soon. Next Saturday. Saturday. Okay. Anyway, so we could like walk down the street and not need to wear a mask. What if I'm going to rob a bank? You have to put the mask on when you're robbing, but when you're in the parking lot going back to the getaway car, you can take it off. You got a panty on your head. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I read something great on Instagram today, which was basically like, if people decide that they want to keep wearing masks, like it, what fucking business is sure. it of yours? Sure. Maybe they have allergies. Maybe they have social anxieties. Maybe they aren't ready to give up on it yet. Let them wear a mask. It doesn't yeah. bother you. What if I'm attending a clan meeting? <laughs> I don't want to know about it. <laughs> You'll stick out, Matt, because you're going to have some sort of like tiki Hawaiian outfit sticking out from beneath your robes. They're going to know it's That you. would be a lot, <laughs> a lot of tropical material, but it would look kind of cool. No. Yeah. There you go. Mm-hmm. It would no. not. Um, so anyway, so it's, I feel hopeful. I do. No, I, the numbers in L.A. County certainly are improving in terms of like new cases and deaths. Like everything is... I hope it stays in that direction, but you know, it, yes, things are looking like we might. I will get a small mask for my new tiki mug, Godzilla. It's nice. really cool. Uh, from Mondo. Mondo puts this together. You're yeah. drinking out of the zipper up the back of his suit. Yes. <laughs> yes, I am. Very nice. Um, Alamo Draft House is reopening a bunch of its locations along along these lines. Things are Speaking getting better. Speaking of Mondo? Yes. Have um, they gotten rid of Tim League yet? No, he's still there. <laughs> Um, uh, they own Mondo too, you know, Matt. <laughs> I know, I know, I know, I know. But he, but I know, it was a I really know. cool tiki mug, though. So he there is exist. no ethical <laughs> consumption in capitalism. I know, 
I know. So I think the I think the Brooklyn location might be open now. LA opens May seventh, um, mm. and then a whole bunch of places all over the country. They're going to stagger them out. Alonzo, per your your frequent question about um, upgrades to the heating and air conditioning systems, they have yes. indeed done that. Good. And you can pre-order your food and drink. Oh, and okay. that is a way to sort of mitigate contact, I suppose, to make it. Right. Yeah, but you have better. to pre-eat the food and drink before you go in the theater. I mean, that's the thing is like. It's brought to you in an astronaut is, bag. It's a straw. They blend up your cheeseburger and fries and they give it to you as a smoothie. So that is a thing. Um, DC Fandome, they're going to do that again online this year. It's going mm. to be October 16th. Is that a thing that had happened in person before? I, I think they might have started it during the pandemic. I could be wrong okay. about this, but I thought the first one happened while lockdown was underway, but I could be wrong. I don't know. Anyway, it was online last I did year. One, I know they did one two years ago, I thought. Okay. Oh, okay. Or, then, I then believe I they, I could be wrong. You know what? I don't know. Two enter the fandom, but only one can yeah. exit. Anyway, so that's the thing, I guess, where they'll premiere all of their depressing DC <laughs> material. Um, so, so we were talking, we talked about Falcon and the Winter Soldier and uh, I guess we can maybe do spoilery stuff. Everyone's watched it at this point. Sure. Whatever. But um, there was a rumor, there was chatter out there that the reason that the maybe the pacing of the whole series, but the finale in particular all seemed a little choppy or the purpose of the Flag Smashers seemed a little vague. Um, there was a theory out there that it was initially intended to be like a pandemic storyline that like drove the Flag Smashers ideology and their purpose and all that. And Carrie Scoglin, who directed the series, did an interview with Collider, I want to say. I think and, so. And she debunked that. She said, no, that was never true. Um, this was always, uh, you know, what it was. And she also said that the last shot that you see of Sam and Bucky at a party and everyone enjoying, you know, shrimp and the sunset, that's actually the first thing they shot on the wow. first day. And they just banked it and thought maybe we'll be able to use this at some point. Mm. And they did. Anyway, so. Uh, did you see never the other Kari Skoglund quote, by the way? Was, what was that? that? By the end of the series, she, she wanted us all to like John Walker. <laughs> do you like John Walker now? I do not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess he, he has his comeuppance, right? Somewhat. He gets, he's not Captain America anymore. Sam's Captain America now. Yeah, but still, he like fucking murdered a guy in cold blood. Granted, a, a member of the Flag Smashers, but still, it's like... He's I I just I think I look at him as a loose cannon. Like, is he somebody who was already like unstable and now has super soldier serum coursing through his veins? I'm like, what else are you going to do? And he wasn't even like court martialed for that. They're just like slap no. on the wrist. Off you go. Yeah, they let him off Captain lightly American. because of his his, you know, heroic record. But yikes. What, Matt, do you like John Walker now? I mean. I see that there's a bit of redemption for him. Um, because he did go too far. Um, although I will say, you know, how many action movies have we seen where the hero kills somebody out of revenge, um, you know, kills some henchman because they couldn't get to the, uh, the leader. Um, 
Not that that makes it okay. No, and maybe, I maybe I'm creating a false distinction between somebody who shoots somebody and somebody who like clangs them in the head. Yeah, you know, like he, don't get me wrong. Right. I mean, he did knowingly, you know, it also it's like, man, you're, you're there in that uniform. Like, that's not a good look. Like at least do it where nobody sees it. Um, right. I, plausible deniability. Come on. Uh, yeah. Like I kind of see the character's redemption, but I think, you know, at best, like he's going to be, makes me think of the tick of all things. Like he means well, but he's an idiot. And <laughs> you know, the difference with John Walker is like, Oh yeah. He'll, he'll kill somebody. Whereas the tick's like, he's just a big dummy. Right. It's funny this week on our Marvel Mondays episode, Nick and I talk about Captain America civil war. On the next and, one? Yeah. The one that's coming up next Monday. And one thing that he pointed out, which I had not noticed is that there's a moment in civil war in that big fight toward the end when Iron Man and Cap are fighting each other and Iron Man's on top of, of, of I'm sorry, Steve's on top of Tony and he's got the shield and he's about to like bring it down on his, on his head and he stops himself and instead like shoves it into the arc reactor to disable his suit. And then in episode four of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, he does the actual deed of beating the oh. shit out of somebody with the shield. So interesting. Somebody, when, when somebody doesn't have that moral compass, that, you know, that sense of right and wrong. Yeah. So there you go. It's okay. a callback to Civil War. Um, Brittany, Brittany Spears, who we, of yes. course, talked about recently with this um, Framing Brittany Spears documentary, she was granted a request to directly address the court about her conservatorship. There is a hearing in June and uh, she's going to go and, uh, and argue her case as to why she should be in control of her finances. Good I for hear her. her opening statement is going to be, oops, I did it again. Uh, sorry. But it's <laughs> Britney, bitch. Come on. It was thing right there. No, good for her. That's great. I, 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 I would like her to have more agency in this whole crazy process. Yes. Um, Army Hammer. His Aunt Casey... Hmm. Is going to reveal all the family secrets in a docu-series. Did you guys see, I don't know if you follow Jennifer Lopez on anything, anywhere, but she posted a picture on Instagram of when this movie Shotgun Wedding Wrap like, was like a, a final shot of her in a wedding dress looking all disheveled next to Josh Duhamel looking all disheveled, but like they're still beautiful. Mm. And of course, it's the role that Army Hammer was supposed to have. <laughs> <sighs> <sighs> June twenty eighth. <laughs> so, 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 so this is his aunt, you say? Aunt, yes, Aunt Casey hmm. has a, has a, she's behind a docu series. It's going to tell, and it, it's probably a lot of what we Casey saw from the that, Hammer family, uh, right? Yeah. And well, she's, I'm, I'm guessing she's out of the will already, so she's got nothing to lose. I don't know. And I'm guessing it's probably a lot of the uh, the same territory that was covered in that big long Vanity Fair. Piece yeah, yeah about that's what how I was thinking. Screwed up the family is. So that's coming and that could be juicy. Um, what else? Well, the big news, of course, I've skipped over entirely, and that is that Citizen Kane is no longer at 100% on the tomato meter, but Paddington 2 is, which ergo, <laughs> Paddington 2 is the greatest film ever made. Yes, that's what that number means. Let's all be very clear about that. Yeah, I find this whole thing kind of hilarious because I love both movies uh, in different ways and for different reasons. So, you know, but yeah, let's, 
do we have to unpack the explanation of what the RT number means and does not mean, or are we going to give our listenership and viewership the benefit of the doubt that they understand it? They understand it, but the reason that this happened, I guess there was some old review that was unearthed. Yes, they found like one decades ago. Right. So Tim was going from, through forties, right. I guess. Tim was going through uh, older reviews from uh, I think the Chicago Tribune. It's a Chicago paper, and he was Chicago going through paper. older reviews. I mean, one of the things is. There are probably hundreds, if not thousands, of movie reviews that like only exist anymore on like microfiche. Right. And because they're not online, uh, Rotten Tomatoes doesn't point to them. And those are just out there, right? And if somebody were to digitize all those and put them up, then they'd probably ultimately end up on Rotten Tomatoes and the score would change. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this came up when you were there, but like, you know, for if you're a living, working film critic, there are certain hoops you have to jump through to be like tomato meter certified. If you are dead and your review ran decades ago, do they just sort of give you the benefit of the doubt if they dig it up that way? No, because sometimes it's done by the outlet, right? Like an outlet. Mm. So it, it would be. So that the idea where they decided counted. Right. Then. So the idea would be that, you know, anything that got printed in the Chicago Tribune, that would get that would apply. Right. Even if, you know, and the joke we would have around the office is like, look, the New York Times turns around and hires a 12 year old to write reviews. Okay, it's the New York Times. That's we're going to put it up. Mm. Right. So the idea is that you kind of lend some of the editorial integrity or you assume some editorial knowledge and wisdom to the larger outlets. So if they if like lights camera Jackson. (laughs) I wasn't going to say it. Places Tony Scott at the New York <laughs> Times, he automatically gets a verified user. The Times reviews still go up. <laughs> but but it would be like, right, it, that's the way it would work. He's not 12 anymore. He's like no. 18 at this point? He's no. Like no, no, no. He's like 20. 20. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, he's got to be like a 20-year-old person. Yeah. At least. At least. Anyway. Um, and then we have a couple things more, and then we will. I think you've got a thing to show. Is that correct, Matt? Do you have something? To uh, show? I can show. Yes, there's one. Yes, there's one thing. Um, there's going to be a Great Gatsby musical. Now that Great Gatsby is part of the public domain for everyone to use and abuse and enjoy as they see fit, um, there's going to be a Great Gatsby musical in Florence from Florence and the Machine is going to do be the lyricist and composer for that. Um, and Michael Collins died from, you know, like astronaut Michael Collins, the guy, oh, who, was right. out, yes. Sorry. The guy who was out there circling yes. the moon. Yes, yes, yes. He was 90. Everyone else gets to set foot on the moon. Not Michael Collins. He gets to hang out and pick them up. So, I was thinking wildest, of what, what's the George Clooney Mike, movie? Michael Clayton. Michael Clayton. <laughs> that's, that's what I was thinking of. Like, that was a real mind. guy? Okay. <laughs> Tom Collins, the drink, yeah. has died. Yes, Michael uh, Collins has passed. The wild thing about... Michael Collins is when uh, the two astronauts, Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong, go down to the moon. Um, at that point, Michael Collins is the loneliest man to have ever lived because at that point, he is there is he is farther away from anywhere else and anyone else. Like he is. Wow. Yeah. Which is like. Hmm. I didn't even appreciate what all his job entailed until we saw that incredible 
Apollo 11 documentary mm. where, where they like recreated the whole thing using just archival footage, footage and yeah. audio and I think it won the Oscar. It was, it was an incredible thing. It was definitely our LA film critics pick for editing. Yes. Um, yes right. But it's an incredible film, but I didn't appreciate like what all he did until I, I watched how they step-by-step step piece that back together again. So yes. So very sad that so he died at age 90. Yes. Matt, you're right. Yes, let me get the picture. Oh, and uh, real quick, uh, uh, Almodovar's The Human Voice is now streaming on HBO Max. Oh, so cool. if you didn't get to see it during its sort of theatrical run in places attached to Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown, it is on HBO Max, and so are about 10 or so other Almodovar titles. So Did Hooray, we nice. ever review that? I don't We have her. not. I would love to. Oh, we could. I thought we did. No, maybe I did on radio. I, uh, I don't know that we did. Oh, well. Well, I'm to happy to, if you would like to. Sure. So we only have one picture. This is the picture used at the top of the show. Uh, it's the Plaza Theater in Atlanta, uh, and they are promoting the Atlanta Film Fest through May 2nd. Uh, there's an awards viewing party. Uh, they're showing clean slates um, and shorts and Boarding Gate and The Sleeping Negro. Uh, and this was sent in from Mike McEnany. So thank you very much for sending that in, Mike. Uh, and uh, I, in Atlanta, and you're going to go see some movies. Uh, that's a place to go. Yeah, the Plaza Theater is a legendary Atlanta location. It's um, in this, pla it's, it's on, on Ponce de Leon in, uh, in, middle, in Midtown. Um, it's in the same plaza as the Plaza Pharmacy, which was one of the few all-night places in Atlanta, like for years and years. And they would show these TV commercials that they had must have shot in like, 1963 you know and they, they would still air it like years and years later so like in the 70s you would see this ad about like the plaza pharmacy we're open to anybody and it was and all, all the women had kind of beehivey hair and you know these just long aisles and very brightly lit and so like when you're in high school and you you're just restless and running around at 1 30 in the morning you would go to the plaza pharmacy because not that many places were open also really there used to be a, at least used to be maybe still is a really good diner the plaza diner also but i don't know if that's still around it's been a while since i've been but yeah good memories there i did a i did a book event in fact when i did when my christmas book came out we had a screening of um i want to say elf there you were running around at 1 30 in the morning at the pharmacy when i was in high school sure really <laughs> Oh, yeah. Didn't your parents wonder where you were at 1.30 in the morning? Uh, you know, if I was like spending the night at somebody else's house or whatever, like, you know, you, you, you work these things out. <laughs> wow. You were reckless and wild. I was pretty boring, <laughs> I assure you, but just, just out late sometimes. 1.30 in the morning, up to no good. All right. Thanks, you guys, for sending in stuff to us. We are always happy to receive it. Yes, many thanks for that. Keep them coming. You can uh, send it to us at any of our social media locations. We're at BFast all day on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We are completely plugged out. We are not on any kind of media, any kind of social media. We put down all of our screens, but I don't know how we're going to record this. Uh, <laughs> in honor of the Mitchells versus the Machines, a uh, new animated film out on Netflix, uh, and Alonso will tell us all about it. So yeah, this is from uh, co-directors Michael Rionda and Jeff Rowe, both of whom come out with the show Gravity Falls. Uh, it's produced by Mitchell and Lord, the guys behind the Lego movie and the 21 Miller. Jump, 
Which one did I say? Miller. Oh, Mitch, Mitchell. You said sorry, Mitchell. Yeah. Mitchell's the movie. <laughs> Miller and Lord, the guys behind uh, uh, Lego Movie and, and 21 Jump Street and not Solo, unfortunately. Um, so this uh, stars uh, Abby Jacobson is the voice of Katie Mitchell. She is kind of an outsider, but uh, really has a strong desire to become a filmmaker. And she is very excited about, um, you know, heading off to school and getting out of the house because she and her father, Rick, voiced by Danny McBride, have a bit of a contentious relationship. It's a loving one, but he very much wants her to be more practical and think about how are you going to make a living? Because, you know, what if the filmmaking thing doesn't work out? And she thinks that he doesn't believe in her. Um, And he's worried that the two of them are, are growing a strange so uh he cancels her plane ticket to go cross country to los angeles to film school and instead says decides they're gonna have a family road trip so uh it's katie and rick uh mom linda voiced by maya rudolph and uh little brother aaron uh voiced by co-director michael rianda and what starts off as sort of just awkward and irritating uh, then turns into a crazy adventure because uh, a, a cell phone AI becomes sentient and turns a host of robots against humanity. The AI is voiced by Olivia Coleman and the, uh, the, 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 the would-be tech genius is played by Eric Andre. Um, and so soon the robots have captured all of humanity except the Mitchells. And so it's up to the Mitchells to go versus the machines and work out their own crap while saving humanity. I love this movie so much. Me it's too. It's so zippy and weird. There's this, this incredible weird streak to it. Um, as I was watching it, it reminded me of the Captain Underpants movie. Mm, in yeah. a lot of ways in that there's like a variety of different kinds of animation going on here. There's a, it's like, it's zany in the best possible ways. Like, yeah not in a way that is cheesy and shrill, but that is constantly surprising and unpredictable and just like weird is the best way I could possibly describe it. But it's also really sweet and it's sweet in a way that's not cheesy. Like it's just, yeah. I don't know how they manage that balance. Um, yeah, a lot of people behind this are behind or, or part of Gravity Falls, also Disenchantment. And you've got two thirds of the main voice cast of disenchantment here between yeah. Abby Jacobson and Eric Andre and Miller um, Lord. I forgot to mention also did, gave us Spider-Man into the spider verse. Right. It's just, and it's just cloudy with like a chance take, of meatballs too. Right. Yeah. Oh, it right, just yeah. takes something that is so familiar, you know, the family road trip where they're all getting on one another's nerves, but the mom hopes they're all going to bond. Like it's, a tale as old as time like oh we're gonna get together and be a family again and that could have been so overly simplistic and they just find unexpected ways into that story every time while also commenting on what we do with our lives and with our time and again that's something that a lot of other movies and tv shows do like oh we're all on our phones too much and so it's this incredible magic trick that they like make things seem novel that have been you know that are very very familiar yeah this yeah, is a hoot it's I'm I love like there's these little frames it's almost it's close to the equivalent of peppering a movie with reaction gifts right and but it's more than that like something will happen you know like the car goes jump like the car will jump right at some point and it's like the Rick Mitchell special and it's and they have this whole big bit like it's a whole frame that's kind of two frame animation going back and forth and uh, we'll doodle on see, it with arrows right, like, and words yeah. and whatnot. <laughs> and we get to see bits of her little movies that that she makes that are terrific and super fun. Um, 
you know, the running gag with how strange the dog is, this pug <laughs> that. Uh, Who does a voice of the pug, you guys? Doug the pug is the voice of the pug. They recorded him doing snorting and snoring sounds as an actual dog. Yes. I don't know an who Doug the famous, Pug is. An internet you know who famous Doug dog. the Pug is? I don't. Who's Doug the Pug? Tell me. Hold that thought. You keep talking. <laughs> hold on, hold on. Hold yeah. So, well, you got um, merch? Okay. Yeah. This. I, I really like this. I think the voice cast is really good. I feel like we get a more nuanced, more human performance out of Danny McBride in this than I, this, anything I, we've ever I seen him do. I was shocked that right. this was Danny McBride. He is giving yeah. his performance that is so not, it's not at all what you're expecting from him. And right. I like Danny McBride, don't get me wrong, but you you generally walk into these things knowing the flavor you're about to be served and it's something completely different here. Right, and then Maya yeah. Rudolph tur later turning into this samurai basically mm -hmm. is amazing. Um, and I'm not gonna say anything more than that. <laughs> the okay. There you go. Christy has the sweatshirt. Now I know. Yeah. Uh, um, I love this Doug movie. That's Doug the Puck. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I love this movie. It is, it is so smart about its characters and about the family dynamic and about the way that people can love each other and drive each other insane at the same time. And they're true to that while also like keeping it just like gag, 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 funny, funny, funny. And taking this absurd, you know, robots take over plot like seriously enough to to do what it needs to do but at the same time um you know like it, it, never letting it overwhelm either the other two things either the family stuff or the the funny stuff and i just realized that i'm not plugged in so y'all talk i'll be right back anyway the thing i just ran and did if you guys are just listening to the podcast i went into my kid's closet and i pulled out his doug the pug hoodie Nick loves yeah. Doug the Pug. He's so a very, Dan. very famous dog. He does it. He's so cute. And uh, yeah, he's, he's a real guy. So Nick has watched this movie four times already, including wow. showing it to his best friend down the street. Because as you say, like, there are bits that are so fast, you cannot possibly catch them all in yeah. the first sitting. Plus, you're laughing your ass off. So you're going to want to hear things again. So um, yeah, the, the balance of like the weirdness and the sweetness is just really tricky. And, and it's, if I have, it's, it's gorgeous. And, you know, this is going to sound really almost dumb, but it's, it's great to see somebody put out something that is this amazing and it's not Pixar and it looks different. It mm -hmm. feels different. It does. Um, yeah. You know, it's not that it's standard. Kind of, yeah. And, and they've done a terrific job here. Uh, I, I, yeah, this is a super fun movie. Yeah, if I have one caveat, uh, it's that it could be about 15 minutes shorter. Well, how I long think. is it? It's like right at two hours. Is it? Yeah. But, well, you know, okay. and it's I'm not. An hour and 53. <laughs> yeah, right at two hours. Right. And I'm not saying there's an arbitrary link these movies have to be or not be. Again, you know, no, no good movie is long enough, no bad movie is short enough. Um, but I, there are moments where I kind of felt like. Uh, like let's get to the let's get to where this is going but very rarely and this is the this, i saw two movies this week you know one of which we're reviewing now and another one that i hope that we can get to uh that are the first films of 2021 that i think oh these are definitely going to be like if not on my top 10 list certainly very much in the running for it and this is clearly a, a movie that i'm i'm 
I, I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. And it's it's and I will be watching it many more times as well. Did you guys mention Chrissy Teigen and John Legend? <laughs> no, no, we did not. So that's also <laughs> the perfect thing. neighbors. Like, yeah. And they're like Instagram perfect, you know, yeah. and, and that's again, it's a thing that is not new. The notion of like social right. media depression and jealousy, but they find a weird way into that as well. And weirdly enough, like they, they, they make screens are the enemy, but also the potential savior. Like they, 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 right. they, they really kind of thread that needle in terms of like, yes, we, we all need to stop doing this so much. But on the other hand, it doesn't completely sort of demonize the notion of what we can accomplish with that stuff. Because, you know, you have somebody like the, the lead character here who wants to be a filmmaker and maybe doesn't have access to the traditional tools that people in the past had. But she has a phone and she has a laptop and, you know, she has like a green screen in her bedroom and so she can do whatever she wants with that and so like the, it helps her the, find her people like, exactly so it's not like this luddite you know anti-technology message either i also am i will not spoil a single thing but i love the character that ends up saving the day and i love how that goes down given the way that character had been established all along that's all i'm going to say i also love the supporting uh, bits from uh beck bennett and uh fred armerson Oh yes, yeah. yes. Those are very clever. They're, it's a it's a funny bit every time. They find like various versions of that bit every time, and I always laugh and I always smiled. Anyway, great voice cast, great energy, um, great message without being heavy handed. Yeah. yeah. So nine point five from me. Nine point five. There you go. Uh, Eight point five. Okay. Our is nine point two. The Mitchells versus the Machines is on Netflix now, so please watch it and then watch it again. <laughs> yes, don't be surprised if you want to. You'll it's it's delightful. Tom Clancy's Without Remorse, which premieres today on Amazon Prime, and uh, because Matt is the dad of the group, he will explain <laughs> to us what happens in a Tom Clancy movie. Uh, Michael B. Jordan is Without Remorse. Uh, he is a uh, special forces soldier, uh, play uh, named John Kelly. Uh, and he and his group, his team, uh, are in uh, Aleppo, ideally, or, or so they've been told, to rescue a diplomat. Um, it turns out that where they've gone is uh, someplace that the Russians have been selling arms out of or moving arms. Uh, they don't trust their CIA uh, contact, played by Jamie Bell, uh, and, um, but everything works out, you know, they, they managed to get out there and survive. And then the team members start to get picked off one by one, uh, resulting in deaths very close to John Kelly. And he takes his bloody revenge for the rest of the movie. Um, this is okay. It's fine. <laughs> like it's, you know, it, it kind of does exactly what you're expecting. It's one of those things that like, you know, this is the, and I've talked about movies like this before. This is an absolutely like mid 2000s afternoon TNT movie. Like that's exactly <laughs> what this is. Something and that how. they, right? Or like the evenings, like Friday night without remorse, Saturday night without remorse, right? Like you get, <laughs> and it's just on all weekend and, and fine. Um, you know, Michael, it B. does Jordan's feel like a relic of an earlier age. Mm -hmm. It does. I think the action's pretty solidly staged. Um, Michael B. Jordan can, can sh you know, obviously he can step up and do really good action, but he does bring some depth, a little bit of depth to this character. 
you know, because of the laws of economy of casting, the minute you see certain people, you're like, uh, wow. Okay. <laughs> Although I will say there is one prominent actor in this movie who has such a seemingly throwaway role. I thought, oh, well, maybe he's in on the conspiracy. And then at the end, it's like, oh, no, you, they just gave you a throwaway role. Okay, never mind then. Yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's a good point. Uh, yeah, no, Michael B. Jordan is the only reason to see this movie because, yeah, obviously, like, as far as the physical requirements of being an action hero, he's great at that. But uh, he's giving a performance. He's giving a performance as somebody who is racked by grief and loss by because of what happens early on in the film that this movie barely deserves because it is otherwise so routine and so by the numbers. It's from the guy who directed the second Sicario movie. Um, and so it's just kind of like, you know, you, you, you've seen this movie before so many times. And I, I just kind of was sort of, it, it's, it's, it's kind of a bore just because like, yeah, it's competent, but it doesn't do anything new or exciting. There's one sequence involving a plane crash that is like oh okay this is you can tell this is where they really put all of their marbles in terms of like interesting camera shots and like the editing is a lot peppier than his rest of the film but otherwise it just felt like bits and pieces of, of action movies i've been seeing as far back as the 80s there's also a scene that captures some of like the most exciting parts of michael b jordan's screen persona where mm. he's in a prison cell Mm. And he knows what's coming for him. Right. I like and that scene. He takes his shirt off, guys. It's pretty good. Yeah. He needs to. And, and just the way he like gets himself like all prepped up for it. It's like shades of Creed and shades of Eric Killmonger. And mm. there's like, like, okay, this is what I came for. It's and his Rorschach Jordan performance. Right. But like nothing else really matches his great magnetism and his great ability. Um, it does feel extremely retro. And what's strange about that is that you know in so many of these tom clancy movies or books rather and both you know it's still that cold war mentality and like the soviets mm. are still the enemy and that is not really so long ago because they're still coming after us like the russians are still attacking <laughs> us in various forms it's just you know in, in a cyber attack sort of way versus like stuff that's on files or is like a chemical that can blow up or, or you know, more tangible means of, of attack. So while this seems like a long time ago, it also like they're, they're, they're not capitalizing very effectively on the fact that this is still an actual threat. To the a, a, attacking a Facebook bot farm would not exactly have the same yeah. uh, <laughs> resonance, yeah. maybe. Right. There's, this is also there's, co written by Taylor Sheridan, yeah. who I, he wrote Hell or High Water, he wrote Sicario, yeah, he but he, he, Wind River. Yeah, so he also wrote Wind River, which was terrible, and he yeah. co and he wrote the second Sicario. So I'm I'm very case by case basis with him. You know the elements that he did in the first Sicario, though. Like one of the best lines in Sicario is, uh, I thought was, um, Del Toro saying, "You know, you're asking me how a watch works, and you just need to be able to tell time, um, <laughs> right? Or it's like you want to know what time it is, and you're asking me how what how a watch works." Uh, and there's a quiet competence to his character. And I feel like there's there's the potential. This movie could have been really cool that way, you know, similar to like the first Bourne movie where the character just knows what they're doing. And it's not, there's not a desperation to him, right? Like there's the scene where he, you know, and this is in the trailer, like when he lights the car on fire, like just this is the thing I'm doing, right? It's not John yeah. McClane like, oh shit, what am I going to do? It's, it's he's ready he's going to do no. stuff um 
but the movie doesn't quite rise to that occasion. And I think that the performances save it. I actually really like Jodie Turner Smith in this. Yes, um, sure. I, as as From Queen and Lieutenant. Yeah, I thought she was pretty cool in this. And I thought I would watch, I would give another movie, you know, and, and they're shawarma, so... Um, yeah, well, this is this is the this this the right. book that it's based on is the first of several like you right. know John Kelly John Clark whatever novels. So I would give him. Have you guys read one of these any of these shot. books? Do you no, know? I have not. This, Matt, I figured you'd be a Tom Clancy guy. I've read some of the books. This is the character, and they you know they rename him at the end of it. But this and this is all in the promo materials. This is the John Clark that shows up in some of the earlier Clancy movies in the Cardinal, the Kremlin novel he's the guy that if i remember correctly gets out the double agent um and i think that's the character i think he's the character that willem dafoe plays in some of all fears um not some of all fears uh whatever the um uh harrison ford one of the Harrison Ford. Uh, Which Ryan Ryan is it? Who was playing Jack Ryan? Was it is Ben it, Affleck? Does anyone remember <laughs> the previous film that Michael B. Jordan and Jamie Bell made together? Fantastic Four. I had forgotten that entirely. Oh, right. So I put it out of Twitter and I was like, oh yeah. They probably wish they had too. Uh, you know what? I, I But I bet the fact that they met, you know, like the, I'm sure making it was what was, was more fun than watching it. Um, <laughs> but I like both of them. I mean, Jamie Bell is very squirrely in this movie that's about all he gets to play but um you know i i i just i don't know i just i think maybe i got my hopes up because michael b jordan is so great yeah. and uh i i maybe i i i was calibrating too high and i should have just focused on the tom clancy of it all i knew exactly what that was going to be and that's what it was it's just like it's methodical and unexceptional and i, I found with the exception of like one or two action scenes i found them to be kind of muddled mm. the way they were staged like just the way that the choreography was staged and edited and i just found it like nothing it, didn't, it never grabbed me which is very workmanlike. Yeah, like if you're gonna give me a tent pole at this point of of, the, of this kind of material, like you gotta do something to zazz it up because otherwise this is just like just release it directly to the airplanes. Otherwise, you know. Matt, the, you have I looked it up. The the John Clark character is what Willem Dafoe played in a previous Jack Ryan movie, um, Clear and Present Danger. Ah. Well, interesting to go in in a different direction casting wise and make him an African American character. That you know that that's a, a cool choice. That's different, yeah. and to have someone with the charisma and the talent of Michael B. Jordan is a huge coup. Yeah, clearly they're they're hoping for a franchise here. I'm not sure I need a whole franchise. Also, Jodie Turner Smith was in her second trimester of pregnancy when she made this movie. Wow. <laughs> yeah, with Joshua Jackson's baby. And I mean, it's not like you can really tailor a, those army uniforms to be more forgiving, but no. I would never have known. She's, She's like five foot ten. Mm. Was, it wasn't uh, like me where I was like, you know, all roundy and out front. Like, I'm, you know, she's tall. Well, she's very, she's very good in this. I, I liked her. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, uh, Lauren London has some good scenes, but it just, yeah, I don't know. I just, I, I, maybe I wanted more than this movie is ever going to give me. Okay, so I'm saying four. Uh, five and a half. I'm giving it a six. Okay, so our number's a 5.2. All right, well, there you go. Uh, if you have a dad that you need to you know, distract for a couple hours, you can just park him in front of this. Up next for us is 
a thriller slash marital drama on Netflix called Things Heard and Seen. And Alonzo will tell you what he has heard and seen. Indeed, I will. Uh, This is based on a novel by Elizabeth Brundage called All Things Cease to Appear, uh, adapted by the directors of Sherry Springer Berman and Robert Pulcini, probably best known for The Great American Splendor and the kind of whatever since American Splendor. Uh, Amanda Seyfried in her second Haunted House film in as many years. Remember the one last year, the You Should Have Left? With Kevin Bacon. Was yes. Kevin Bacon or yeah, husband? They, yeah, where they go to like Ireland or whatever. Uh, this time, Wales, Wales, <laughs> thank you. This time, it's, it's New England. Um, it's she, not, it's upstate New York. Okay, fine, it's upstate New upstate York. Upstate New York. Also the same England. thing. Our, our Wales right. and Ireland are the it's, same thing. It's New relevant England to and, the story. There's, it's, it's, it's countryside it's, and there's accents. It's about the know. Hudson Valley painters. <laughs> You're right. Absolutely. <laughs> They're all the Upstate same. Upstate New York. I stand corrected. Uh, Amanda Seyfried is uh, an art restorer and her husband, James Norton, has just finished his PhD in art history. Um, they have moved to Upstate New York, where he <laughs> has been hired uh, to teach at a small college. Um their uh, marriage is already a little on the strained side. They have a young daughter and then they move into this farmhouse uh, where clearly there's the it's haunted. And uh, <laughs> the more that we learn about how the house is haunted, the more we realize that their marriage is awful. And it's kind of a race to see which one of those things is going to blow up first. It's all set in 1980. Um this is, uh, you know, I know I said this about Mitchell's versus the Machines, which is a much, much better movie. But boy, is this movie too long. Um, they take forever to get to it. And once they get to it, it's kind of interesting in terms of what happened in that house and why, how it's manifesting now and what that tells us about the way that the, the, the marriage that these two have. But they, they, they just really, really take a long time getting there. And, um, you know, it's not as atmospheric as it could be. It's, you know, it's the same kind of haunted house shit you've seen a million times, the electric surges and the things coming out of the drain and whatnot. Uh, there is a really great cast here. In addition to Amanda Seyfried and James Norton, you've got Natalia Dyer from, uh, from Stranger Things. Um, you've got Rhea Sehorn from uh, a Better Call Saul and James Urbaniak, who goes back to American Splendor with these directors. Uh, but, oh, and, and of course, and if Marie, if Marie Abraham as as the, the head of the art department. I did not expect Salieri to show up in this movie. Yeah, right? He's actually, he's really good in this. Like he's, it yeah. reminds you like what he does well and he's the right kind of ham, you know? Like he knows how to just like be big, but also be believable at the same time. Uh, like, yeah, once, like once we get more Marie Abraham and once there's like talking about seances and stuff, like it, it picks up a little but you just got to slog through so many oh karen allen is the real estate agent by the way but you got to slog through so many like secrets and unspoken to get to where it's all going it was like i had this movie like got me to the end of my patience and then by the time it, it actually started being interesting to me and engaging i was fed up with the whole thing and then do you see who karen allen's married to oh yeah michael o'keefe michael o'keefe yeah. So it's an incredible cast. And I was more interested in the crumbling marriage part of it than I was in the haunted house part of it. Because mm. it really is like two separate movies that are functioning in parallel tracks. And eventually they meet up with each other at the end. But like the the secrets between them 
and what she knows but doesn't say mm. like the realism of that to me was more effective than the supernatural spectral whatever it's kind of it's kind of interesting that she's not frightened of the spirits yeah. like she she's welcoming to them and she wants them to feel settled and she and F. Murray Abraham have like maybe the loveliest scene in the whole mm. movie where they sort of Bond. share that sentiment but again like it's two different kinds of movie. And then Rhea Seahorn shows up and pretty much steals the entire thing. <laughs> showing up and every choice she makes is so unexpected in terms of the way she'll deliver a line or just her, her presence, just her, her voice. Like, yeah. she's just so cool. And um, I would like to have seen more of her in this. Um, I didn't hate this. It's getting really trashed. Um, I just yeah. I found it. I, I can like see where the I, I can see where the two stories as you mentioned are are intended to dovetail, but boy, they make you wait to get there. This yeah, takes a while. This felt to me like somebody somebody got the idea like, what if I put a John Updike novel in a haunted house? <laughs> <laughs> right? Would that work? And in a Shirley is, Jackson novel, <laughs> right? And the answer, right? Exactly. What if what would be the unholy union between John Updike and Shirley Jackson? Um, and it almost works uh mm. this is also this is one of the first movies i can think of that like the second act is the best part um which is weird right like it takes too long to get going there's some interesting like right at the beginning like right off the bat we see that uh amanda seyfried's character is bulimic and so there's clearly something going on there with her and her marriage and and she drops some hints about like you know, I've got to make sacrifices for him. And, and there's, there's little bits of this that are peppered into this, you know, things like we just work tenants and, you know, like the idea that anybody in upstate New York is a tenant in some of those older houses, because the old houses are so old and they go on and on and everybody kind of just, you know, they're They'll all live forever. You'll die, you know? Right. And, you know, they're all followers of what's the, theologian's name it's oh not smorgasbord the, the, i want to say the miss swedenborg 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 not smorgasbord um, mm -hmm. although that's a theologian i can get behind there um, you, go. you know but it, they don't overdo it like there's it flirts with the idea like is this going to turn into the wicker man no it doesn't um <laughs> it's never that weird it's never that yeah, weird like it, 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 it never quite said it's gonna get baby but it is sort of like a little posh for you know a, a horror movie I right it, it hints that it's going to get really sexy and then it doesn't um but it's fine you know it's like this is this to me is is almost the equivalent of kind of how i feel about uh without remorse like yeah, yeah. okay <laughs> like, it, I think it's okay I, I think there's a good movie in here and i think that you would it would it would require a little more chopping and a little rewriting and 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 some streamlining but yeah, I, I mean, I think you're right. The, the idea of what they want to do here, what they're intending to do is a good one. And a lot of the execution along the way is well done. And there are performances that pop and scenes that really work, but it just never quite right. becomes and, the thing you want it to be. You know? And I think part of it is the way the husband is written is that when he takes his, his kind of point of no return action, the big, big one, it's like, where did... It, that seems a bit over the top for what we've seen otherwise, right? right? And 
I enjoyed yeah. his evolution, though. That to me is where, like, if there's any tension to be had in this movie, it's nothing at all to do with the house or whether it's haunted or who's haunting it and why. But I, who he actually is and his, like, the way his veneer slips, like, because he's mm -hmm. totally charismatic and, like, kind of a cad. And the more you learn about what an awful person he is, like, I found that more interesting than like the, the realism of that and the Amanda Seyfried character coming into her own at the same time. There's more gripping tension in what's going to happen in their marriage than there is in like, oh, are the spirits going to settle or not? But I think, but it's more, I think his evolution is more interesting in terms of what other characters learn about him and what things that come to light more than his performance of showing us this guy, you know, revealing himself to, to being who he really is. You mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? Like it's more, it's more interesting in the scenes in which other people have conversations or, you know, make discoveries than anything he's doing. I thought he was good. He's fine. But I mean, I just, the, in terms of that character evolution, I was more interested in yeah. it in, 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 as reflected through other characters. Right. The, awesome. other thing that, the other thing about that, about his evolution is that, the movie puts that the house has an influence on his evolution, which I think is unnecessary as a story mm -hmm. point. I think that actually is the wrong move, but yeah, yeah. he was and a shit before it, they got there. Yeah, yeah exactly. Makes sense. Also, Amanda Seyfried has the perfect face for horror. Oh, with her so, giant eyes. This True. giant eyes. And like, there, there are a couple of different shots where like you, something spectral is like passing over her eyes and she's just taking it all in. And she's like, she's so magnetic and so expressive yeah. that she's a, a great fit for this I, kind of material, which makes you wish the material were juicier. Exactly. I wish somebody would put her in a better one of these because you're right. She is, she's totally made for this. So yeah. yeah. Wait, I'm saying five and a half. I said five and a half as well. Mm -hmm. It's a five and a half kind of week. Yeah. yeah five and a half. Let's do it. So it's five and a half. Um, Things Heard and Seen is on Netflix. And the original title of the book this is based on is All Things Cease to Appear, which is a much better title, I think, than Things Heard and Seen. The passive voice of Things Heard and Seen. <laughs> yeah, like when I, I, when I got to Netflix last night to watch it, I could not remember the title. So I just put in Sherry Springer Bergman because that was the, <laughs> that was the thing I could remember, you know, so. Eh. And American Splendor was amazing, you guys. It was so yes. innovative and so cool. And that was like 20 years ago. And they, it's, sadly, they've never like matched the brilliance or the innovation of that. Yeah. To this day, like I think one of the great biopics of all time. And I, mm. I, I when I, I have taught that movie before and I said, here's the test for your biopic. Can the actual person walk in and out of this movie and seem at home? And that's what they do in American <laughs> Splendor. So yeah. yeah, if you've never seen it, give that a look. This past weekend, my octopus teacher won best documentary at the Academy Awards. And Christy said it was so terrible that she said we should watch it and review it. Well, she sold me on how terrible it was because then I didn't watch it because I believe her. Don't you want to know for yourself? Aren't you curious? You're saying I shouldn't trust your word? <laughs> you should trust but verify. <laughs> so, okay, so even before it won the Academy Award, I was thinking we should probably review this because it was the front runner, which was shocking to me when you consider what it was up against. Like, Collective is far and away one of the best movies of the year. Yeah. Crip Camp. Crip Camp is great. Time is Time. poetry. Yeah. My mo the mole agent 
is hilarious and weird. It's weird and sad and sweet. It's just, it's, it's really unique. And uh, there are so many documentaries that did not get nominated for the Academy Award, which are excellent. Like yeah. Dick Johnson is dead. Is so Disclosure, innovative. totally under control. City Hall. So, so City Hall. When will Frederick Wiseman get his but They due? went with the fucking octopus. <sighs> mm. I, it is truly baffling. And I feel like when it won, that whole room was like, if they watched it i mean who knows anyway we should talk about what it's actually about yes so this guy craig foster tells the whole story of this truly unique and life-changing relationship that he developed with an octopus off the coast of south africa he details diving every day for like a year and diving without a wetsuit because he wants to have the feeling, the bracing feeling of the water on his skin. He wants to have that, that connection, that visceral connection with the water. And um, this is directed by Pippa Ehrlich and James Reed. And they, they, a great deal of this movie, far too much of this movie, is Craig Foster just talking about himself, about his relationship with the ocean, about growing up off the coast of South Africa and how being in the water was really important to him as a boy. And he comes to crave it as a man. He's probably like, I don't know, 50? Yeah, yeah, well, he, he, he has like a midlife crisis in which, yeah. you know, he, he sort of can't, he has to, he, he can't deal with, with filmmaking or being a cinematographer, which right. is He's you know, DP. Yeah. what he does. And so, you know, he, he turns to the, to the ocean as sort of, you know, a reconnection with this thing that's been so important in his life. And then that's when he encounters the this octopus. octopus, who is a woman. And so he walks us through his deepening underwater bond with this creature. Now, it's a beautiful film. It really is. And octopi are fucking fascinating. And I learned a lot. And like their, their, their camouflage abilities are fascinating and their survival instincts. And there are some legitimately tense moments in this movie. The way where, they learn like, things. Right, like pajama sharks are after this creature and just mm. like how, how she hunts, how she survives. I mean, I would have liked just a straightforward, like David Attenborough narrating me a movie about the octopus. Where's Jacques Cousteau when we need him? Right, it's still, instead it's like through the eyes of this guy and how he makes everything in this octopus's life about him. And yeah, so- The my does the heavy lifting in the time. My, not the, <laughs> not a, she's my, my octopus teacher. She's not here to teach anybody else. She's my private tutor. Just me to learn life lessons in my midlife crisis. So, for example, I don't think this is a spoiler. I'm going to go ahead and say it because this movie's been out since September on Netflix. At one point, she gets one of her eight arms partially eaten off by a shark. It's a very tense moment. This is like halfway through the movie. And so, of course, he's talking about how traumatic this is for him. Like, I can't help but feel like part of my arm got chopped off, too. It's like, no, dude, you've got both your arms. This is not about you. Not everything is about you. It made me so mad. <sighs> and everything that happened to her, he, like, he increasingly internalized it. And he's got this whole wall. Like, you know that meme of Charlie Day? 
in its own <laughs> city in Philadelphia where he's got like all the stuff on the, the homeland wall. wall. Right. And like all the threads like attached to each other. He's got something like that with this octopus. He's obsessed. And then he he brings his, his little boy who he also wants to teach about the importance of like respecting underwater life. That's all lovely, whatever. Um, you know. Early in the film, he talks about like wanting to like spend more time with his son and being there for his son. And then we spend like, I don't know how long of him with the octopus. I'm like, and where's the son during all this? Eventually, yes, he does bring him with well, him into teenager. the water. But it's kind of like you're not doing a lot of parenting if you're spending this much time at the bottom of the ocean stalking this poor octopod, you know. I would have liked a little bit of perspective on like what's happening at home when you're like splashing around in the water all day. Yeah. How do Locked they feel it? about this? I, 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 you know, the, I, I, I saw this movie based on on Christie being furious with it, and I have to say, like, I get why people love it, and I get why people hate it because it's like you said. The on the plus side, the underwater photography is stunning, beautiful. I learned a lot about uh, the way the life of the octopus, and I, I did some googling, and apparently, like, marine biologists are like, no, no, this movie's actually they're right, they're getting it right about how this stuff works. But holy shit, this guy's just like so centered in, in all of this and, and, and makes it so much about him and his problems. I'm like, dude, like, I'm glad you had this experience. I'm glad you learned things from your observation. But it comes off as so utterly solipsistic and, and narcissistic that it's like, just turn off the narration and look at the mm -hmm. octopus stuff. And it's fascinating, but I don't care about you. Stop He's making so this. Boring. He's stop, so fucking boring. Stop making this about you. You know what it reminded me of the last time we watched a documentary about uh, a South African documentarian who felt like he'd hit a wall in his life was looking for something new was the vow on HBO. Like <laughs> I kept waiting for that. This guy to the, for him and the octopus to go join Nexium. you know, when, and, when and, did the late night volleyball game. Exactly. <laughs> Imagine the octopus uh, at volleyball. Oh, great kill. Yeah, she'd be great. <laughs> but holy shit! I, 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 please let let us let let this not become a new subgenre of nature documentaries where it's all about the documentarian and it's all about his personal experience while observing this phenomenon in nature. It's like oh yeah yeah. But uh, I you think know, that's yes. only. I think you only get to do that if it's Werner Herzog. And right. even he knows when to shut up and back know. up, you know, and like, let the audio play for itself. Exactly. You know? <laughs> yeah. Like this guy, it, it, it's just uh, I was gobsmacked at how wrongheaded that whole take on it was. But at the same time, that awful take is happening in this very well documented, you know, sort of piece about the life cycle of this animal and what it goes through and how it teaches itself to like catch certain you know like lobsters and stuff that that you know that they that would elude it otherwise i'd never seen a lobster swimming before that was some really cool <laughs> footage they use that tail and they just like, off they go backwards you know <laughs> so yeah I, I i get i get the appeal of this movie and i even get if people you know feel for this guy's journey and blah 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 but really this guy needs to just chill the fuck up and just <laughs> stop it already and stop making it about him at a time when like social media has made in a world. everyone's narcissism right everyone's narcissism is so acceptable now because mm. of like you know selfies and it's not just people in their 20s it's like grown-ass men in their 60s taking pictures of themselves and you know whatever 
I don't see why this is a celebrated thing. Like this guy's narcissism is like, okay. I, yeah. I don't get it. Anyway, I would have, you know what would have been better? If it were like a pop-up video version of this movie <laughs> where you're just watching really pretty pictures and like, the octopus has a lifespan of <laughs> like little back toys just pop up on screen. Like that would have been a much more interesting movie to me than this guy sitting at his dining room table talking about himself. But if nothing else, see the appeal to the Academy of a complete narcissist <laughs> being able to make beautiful underwater footage all about him. Mm, this is true. How could they resist? But yeah, I, I will say though, this is another reminder that the Academy Awards are nonsense because yeah even even the best version of this movie where this guy shuts up and lets the octopus be the star of it 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 ain't no collective and it ain't no time and it ain't no crip camp so let us know what you think because i know a lot of you guys out there like this movie yeah walk (laughs) us through it because we're not getting it <laughs> Thanks for watching, you guys. Well, we didn't uh, do numbers. We didn't do numbers. Oh, oh, all right. I'm at five and a half because, like, no, you're it, not. didn't I? You're what did six I say? and a half. Six and a half. Yes, because <laughs> the 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 craft of the actual filmmaking is great, but the narrative is just the worst. All right. I'm saying what three. Three and a half. So number Ooh. five. Okay. okay, that's probably fair in the long run. Uh, so yeah, thanks for watching. Like this video. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, check us out on social media at Be Fast All Day and do drop by our Patreon page at patreon.com slash day. Christy and I are digging into the new ep- uh, the new season of uh, Handmaid's Tale on Hulu. They dropped the first three this week, so we got plenty to talk about and we'll be covering it uh, all the way through the season. Christy, what's coming up on Marvel Monday? We are up to Captain America Civil War. Nice. Which is not one of my favorites. I'm not really fond of the big gigantic ones where all of them are together and they're all fighting each other. I know I understand the appeal for people who mm. love comic books to see all of them in one place is probably pretty cool. And, you know, we get the introduction of Tall and as Spider-Man. We get Chadwick Boseman as T'Challa for the first time. So there's That's some right. cool yeah, stuff yeah. in that regard. Um, but just big this is just big there's a lot but that airport sequence is pretty amazing oh it is the whole chase you know where they're like faster than the cars (laughs) (laughs) anyway awesome thanks for watching everybody have a good week take care of yourselves and each other and we'll see you next time bye